0: John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from art parks to Zebras. This is our once a month show on the fourth Thursday of every month at four o'clock. Typically we are live so you could call in but due to the pandemic uh, we can't do that and uh, hopefully in the foreseeable future we'll get back to a live program. As always I always like to uh, advertise my pet sounds which is a short on Sunday mornings at 7.30 on short topics. I'm writing new ones every week, so listen in with your morning coffee. And today I'm real excited about our guest. Her name is Kathy Callahan. She is an author of the book 101 Rescue Puppies, One Family Story of Fostering Dogs Love and Trust. Good afternoon, Kathy. How are you?
1: It's delightful to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, it's going to be fun. I must say, this book is like a family album with insightful, um, a lot of insightful uh, thoughts and experiences. And you share, you know, you share all of your experiences in this book. And the the photos are fantastic. It's just a delightful book.
1: Thank you so much.
0: um, I want you to. Give us a little bit, our, our listeners, a little bit of background of who you are and, and actually how, how this book developed. You kind of mentioned that to me when, I was, when we were talking earlier about how the book forms. So you can tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so we have been fostering uh, for eight years now, our family. So that's my husband and I, and we have two daughters who are now in their 20s. Um, When we started, they were just 12 and 15, and we had lost a dog, just like everyone who's listening to the show. You know how that feels. It's sad. And our house felt sad. And um, we weren't ready to get a new dog. That didn't feel right yet. Um, But I knew we needed something. And somebody suggested that we should foster. And so we took in two little puppies. And honestly, we were nervous, just like any dog lovers. How could we foster? how can we take in these dogs and give them up? Um, so I actually told the adoptions coordinator to give me dogs we wouldn't like um, because <laughs> so we are a family generally of big dog people. And, and they gave us these two sort of Boston Terrier mixes. Guess what? We loved them. Um, and it was a delight. And so that was 175 foster puppies ago because we just the experience was just incredible. It was um, fun and funny and moving. And it was something we could all do together. Um, You know, no screens, no, nothing stressful. We just sat around enjoying these puppies and doing this work together. And it, it felt good to be doing something good all together. uh, That was fun. And then the other part of it is the fun it brought in, out in our, our own dogs and cats, watching our own dogs and cats welcome these little puppies um, and the antics that ensued. It was just the whole thing was just a delight. So so we have never stopped.
0: But you, but you, you talk as if when you started it, you just, you knew what to do, but actually you inadvertently trained for this. Uh, at the end of the book, you talked about how you met your husband, Tom, and you were in Africa. Yep. And uh, there are some things during your early years that helped you and, and exactly tell us a little bit about that. I
1: think that's right so I, th- I think that's right in a way I sort of feel like we had been working toward this for 25 years so when we met I had one dog he had two we actually had to go to counseling before we got married not marital counseling but dog behavior counseling because uh, our two male dogs we're having trouble getting along. And so we actually had to go to a trainer. And that was my first foray into behavior issues with dogs. And it was so interesting and it was successful. You know, we were interested enough that we poured ourselves into it and, and fixed it. And so we got married. <laughs> and so, <laughs> that how you fix Otherwise we couldn't have, um, well, anyway, so,
0: that, that many times, you know, you can't keep them married.
1: Right. No, that's true. Um, but anyway, we, we, that, was super interesting. And then while we lived in South Africa, we happened to be down the street from the South African Guide Dog Association and they needed puppy raisers. You know, those are the people who take in a puppy and you do special training with them to take them out in public and make them confident in every situation and all that kind of stuff. And that was really fun and we loved that. So that did help us train up a little bit and how you do that kind of great socializing and training with a puppy. Um,
0: You know, the the incentive, not the incentive, the practice of getting a dog, going through certain, you got certain rules, regulations for that, for that
1: that organization,
0: and then they left, then they, they went off to get to do their job, right?
1: well in this particular case <laughs> that oh. did not happen so so piper that was piper that we took in and we had her for 9 months and then she was ready to go to the guide dog association place to get her formal training so we kind of hadn't thought through how sad that was going to be for the whole pack we knew as humans we were going to miss her but oh my gosh the rest of the pack keila howled at the gate when the lady came and took away her little piper anyway so we were sad However, two months later, we got a call from the Guide Dog Association that they were kicking out the whole litter from training because, not because they weren't good, they were in fact fantastic, but the mom had developed epilepsy and they felt that it was a, uh, a, you know, you can't have a guide dog that has that. And so they gave us the right of first refusal. And so, of course, even though we had three dogs, we said yes, and we kept Piper. However, it was training for this whole concept of taking in a puppy and getting them ready to give to someone else. Doing the best you can to get them in such terrific shape that they're ready to really go out and do a great job as somebody else's.
0: Little did you know you were training for
1: that. Right, right. No, we had no idea we were going to go on and do this. And when we took in those first two puppies we had no idea this was going to be a thing. We were just doing it for a few weeks. You know, that's a tip, A typical foster engagement is, you know, two weeks or something. Right. Um, and that's kind of what we thought it would be, but we didn't realize it would be totally addictive for us.
0: Well, what's So we're going to get a little bit into the concept of fostering um, using your experience. Uh, so what, what exactly is fostering and how is it different or the same uh, as rescuing? Because rescue and foster are are used frequently. So explain what is fostering, how's rescuing involved with fostering and vice versa?
1: Yep. Um, There's just a huge rescuing dog rescue um, uh, thing happening here in our country. And fostering is a key component of it for many groups because while while shelters tend to have brick and mortar places to keep dogs, uh, they don't have enough space. We have something like 3,000, 3,400 shelters, brick and mortar shelters in this country and like 3 million dogs. So if you do the math, that's not, they're not going to fit. So that's where rescue groups come in. And those tend to be, you know, started by somebody who felt sad and wanted to help the situation. So they start a private rescue group, which scoops up the dogs from shelters that otherwise might not have a good future, uh, scoops them up and takes them to a place that where they can be adopted. So typically you're often taking dogs from um, rural places, often Southern places, because that tends to have more more unwanted dogs and you're transporting them up to a more populated area where, where they have a much better shot of getting adopted. However, a lot of those rescue groups don't have brick and mortar. They don't have the money to have a facility and, or to pay for boarding. So that's where fosters come in. So um, fosters can provide a safe landing spot until the forever home kind of shows itself, you know? So um, whether that's going to be, I've had a foster for as short as a few hours. And for me, the longest I think has been about three months. Um, and you're just providing a safe place where, you know, if the dog is already healthy and great, all you're doing is, you know, maybe you're going to work on a little bit of training. Uh, you 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 try to make them a little bit more adoptable all the time. Some of them need a little bit more work. Some of them are, you know, you're working through, um, mal- maybe they've been malnourished or maybe um, they've, they've, they've just got something going on. So you, you're trying to nurture them, get them healthy, get them safe, and get them ready so that when the right family person shows up, they're ready to go.
0: So it's kind of um, fostering is part of a, a larger network. Absolutely. You have the, you have the, um, the shelters uh, that have the animal. Then you have people who are taking the animals from the shelters. That's an organization. A lot of them now are, not a lot now, have been for a long time, they, they take specific breeds. So you get collie yes. rescue, lab yep. rescue. So if you're looking for when people coming in I'm looking for a lab, I'll say, well, go to the lab rescue. But yep. now you have admin, so now you have these people, at, let's call it lab rescue organization. So that's kind of administrative and they have to now coordinate between what the, the shelter and the foster. So how, and you, and you, in your book, you talk about admin, administrators.
1: So, yes, yeah. So yes, there
0: are, I
1: have, our group calls them adoption coordinators. Coordinators, yes. Um, so so the
0: way- how this all structure. structured.
1: Yeah, there's different terminology. So the, the, and I have fostered for maybe five different groups and they have all done this part kind of similarly. So so the group has some director and maybe has some, you know, somebody in charge of finances and stuff. So, you know, fundraising and how do you spend the money and stuff. And then you have people typically called adoption coordinators who are the ones who are kind of the caseworkers on a particular dog. So they are the ones who, are, are talking to the shelter where the dog originates decides to it, you call it pulling the dog decides to choose that particular dog you know looks at that dog says yes we could really do well with that dog let's I think we could get that one home so let's pull that one um, They organize the transport of that dog so we have people we have volunteers who will drive um, from the shelter all the way up here um, and the adoption coordinator will, supervise that whole event and then supervise which foster is a good match for that dog. And then we'll be the one who looks through the applications that come in for that dog. And in our case, um, calls and does a phone interview to just talk to the person about this dog in particular and their situation, what they're looking for and trying to make sure it's a good match. Then, um, hooks those folks up with me so that there can be the, the eventual meet and greet the visit to see if it's, see if it's love.
0: Well, the coordinator uh, is usually down, let's say down South on, in Mississippi, or could it be?
1: Actually, up- no. So, so our coordinators are here, up here. I'm in Virginia. And so the coordinator is here, but she, our rescue, for example, has maybe 10, partner shelters. And those are kind of nearby. I mean, they're in neighboring states. So ours are um, North Carolina, South Carolina, West Virginia, and just Southern Virginia. So maybe 10 different shelters that we work with all the time. And those shelters tend to be overwhelmed with too many dogs. So we have, I don't know how many adoption coordinators. Maybe we have five adoption coordinators, and they each handle maybe two shelters. So they develop a good relationship with the people who work at those shelters. So they're in constant communication about which dogs might be good to send into rescue. And for, for in particular, you want to get puppies and pregnant moms, nursing moms out of the shelter system, because that's just... Um, those puppies are going to be too vulnerable to infection in that kind of atmosphere. They need to get into foster care. Um, So those in particular get transported quickly into like a house like mine.
0: So the coordinator, the the shelters that coordinator is uh, involved with are in the area and those shelters are getting dogs from Mississippi or North Carolina. Do they, they ship them into that shelter and the coordinator... Or so the
1: cor- the coordinator is here for the coordinator is local with the rescue and talking on the phone to the shelters in Virginia, okay, okay. Um, okay. West Virginia. Um, and, and the Tennessee there, there was, the, there was in my book, there's a chapter on the Tennessee rescue that I love called big fluffy dog rescue. And um, that's, that's what you're thinking about with the Tennessee. That was an unusual situation because there had been hurricanes in both Houston and Florida. And so those places, everything in the South was trying to empty their shelters to prepare for an influx of new dogs coming in. So they were kind of desperate to get this um, litter out from Tennessee so that they could make room for somebody new that's why I got that delicious litter because typically they like to keep their litters right in Tennessee because that's where their vets are and puppies need regular shots and care and all that kind of stuff so they tend to not let those delicious fluffy big white puppies go outside of Tennessee but the, but and I don't want to be grateful for a hurricane but I kind of am because <laughs> yeah. that was
0: really fun. Sound I just, sound I just love those big hurricanes. Um, love the big hurricanes.
1: Yeah yeah <laughs> so anyway so down south there tends to be you know there's there There's, I don't know if it's because it's warm out and dogs coming out running around. There's a little less of a spay neuter kind of situation happening, Um, but it it is true that dogs in rescue tend to move from the south to the north. Um, And so, in fact, every Saturday there are like this. There's this like you know little carpool thing happening where volunteers, like for example, if you can't, there's a lot of things you can do to help dogs. And who are in rescue, that if you're not ready to foster, you could transport. And so you can offer to drive a leg of the trip. So there are people who will drive, like, say, from the, um, Georgia two hours north. Then they meet in a parking lot, some other nice volunteer, and they transfer dog crates from one car to another, and that next person does that two-hour stint. Wow. And so the dogs end up going eight hours up to some population center like DC or Baltimore or Philadelphia. And then those dogs have a great shot at getting home up there. And it's because these people are willing to spend Saturday after Saturday doing their little four hours, two hours up and two hours back. And, you know, after reading my book, my sister-in-law called me, well, she sent me a little text of herself with cats and a husky. I was like, what are you doing? And she said, I was inspired and I just did a transport. And she couldn't stop talking about how great she felt. And this is the thing. You feel great. And it's so easy to feel overwhelmed by what's happening in the world. You know, pick a topic right now and you're going to feel a little bit overwhelmed. But this is a little very discreet thing of you know, from start to finish, you can do it. And you can you can just feel great that you did something good for this delicious little animal, you know? So my sister-in-law was just super happy because she moved uh, a litter of cats and a husky from an at-risk situation to a safe situation.
0: Um, so well, this is this is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals on W E R U in Orland, Maine. And we're talking with Kathy Callahan who's wrote a book, 101 Rescue Puppies. So we're talking about fostering. Uh, we're going to get in, into some of Kathy's experiences. But before that, I have one more question uh, for the listeners because they may be interested in being a foster parent. What does it take to be a foster parent? Do you have to go through interviews? Do you have to think that, sit down with your family and talk about the finances and the spaces and all the things before you jump in? So what would you yep kind of advice would you give people that thinking of foster? I,
1: I, it is honestly very similar to the conversation about deciding to, uh, take in a, a dog or a cat to, to keep. Um, it's the same kind of stuff, you know, what, what, um, what kind of time and space do we all need? What are, what are we willing to put into this? What I will say is that, um, there is something for everyone when it comes to fostering. So uh, um, first of all, you can go to my website, www.puppypicks.com, where you can find... Uh, um, a piece I wrote on, there are actually two pieces on there about, are you thinking about fostering? And it outlines in more specifics than I can get into right here, um, what you would need. But just generally, you know, you can, I happen to take in, you know, a nursing mom and her 10 puppies. That's, you know, for two months, that's kind of a that that's a, that's a fairly large commitment. It's also super fun though. So I do think in a way, this is the most fun you can have in fostering. However, you could also take in the uh, two-year-old dog that was given up by the family because the new baby has allergies to it. That dog is going to be used to living in a home, totally housebroken, um, you know, already trained. And that's kind of a plug and play situation. And especially if you have a playful dog in your own house and you can never find enough ways to exhaust your dog, get a sleepover friend. This is, you can have the best time for two weeks with this fun little dog that you just added to your house. Um, Obviously you have to know your own pets and, you know, do your pets get along with other dogs? And, you know, the more you can know about that, the better, the better choice you can make. But, Um, there is something for everyone, all kinds of dogs, big, small, um, super easy, very challenging, whatever your interest is, there's going to be something. Your best bet is to work closely with your rescue. You have some kind of local rescue, maybe your shelter, maybe a local rescue. You can, they will, they want this placement to work. So they are going to talk with you in detail about what your household situation is like, how much, how often are you home? Who's, who's home? Who's not? Do you have a fenced yard? How tall is the fence? Um, You know, all those things that apply to adopting a regular dog apply to fostering as well. And then there's the extra thing you have to think about, which is letting go. Um, And that's just a matter of um, uh, uh, being ready for it. You're going to be sad at first.
0: (laughs) Um, Towards the end of your book, you mentioned that. Let's we'll jump to that since you mentioned it. Sure. And you use the word faith. Explain how faith comes into letting go of your fosters.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so I used to cry um, before each adoption. <laughs> So the first whole year before the oh before they were leaving yeah you know so you're so you're working so hard to get an adopter you want a great adopter but even when it's a great adopter that first year I just felt I just you know you you're scared you you know is it going to work out is it going to be okay you just you're so bonded with this little puppy even though it's only been a week um, and you it's it it is hard you do love them you love them the second they get here. And then it is hard to give them up and you're worried they're so settled here, you know, are they going to think I've betrayed them? And then what happens every time is three days later, you're getting these incredible photographs texted to you from these people who are telling you they can't even remember life without this dog. And your puppy that you thought was, you know, so secretly you thought would never be as happy somewhere else as they were with you. Oh my gosh. You can see it; they are right where they're supposed to be, and oh, when that happens again and again and again and again and again, you start to just kind of think the universe is with you, and that this is just you all you need to do is do your part, and the rest is gonna fall into place. That's truly how it starts to feel so um I really don't worry about it anymore um
0: well, so I, you you the the way you react to the new owners enjoying it, you could have just as easily gone the other way and felt jealous. You ever feel jealous that the new home is there third- you know, than with you?
1: That's so interesting. No, I, I, you know, no one has ever asked me that question. That's a great question. And I don't feel that way. I, I don't, I, I think it's just, well, maybe, you know, we do have plenty of our own, animals that we love to pieces. And so every time, when we do, you know, if we were to think of keeping one, it's so clear that it would take away a little bit from our own pack, you know, Um, that, uh, you know, we really do love our own. So I think if we didn't have any pets, and then I saw a dog, a puppy I had just adored being super happy somewhere else, I'd think, oh shoot, I blew it. But no, I have never felt that way. I'm simply so grateful and so happy when I see that. That joy.
0: Um, I think with, with you, um, it seems to me that you're. When people say they love animals, sometimes it's a self reference. It's feeding their ego, so they love animals because of animals loving them. So the ego fed and you're there to see. From what you're talking about, that you are loving, helping the animal, so you fall in love with them. But, you're, but it's not part of your ego you know I, you I think, who you are.
1: I think that I have led a very lucky life. I have a life that is full of love. my original family, this family I've got here, my husband's amazing my kids are amazing. I have amazing pets in my own house so so I'm lucky that it yeah, I don't need that the neediness thing is not a part of this this is simple are you doing it no it's and in fact it's really. To whom much is given, much is expected. You know, we've got a lot to give in this household, and it's kind of ridiculous to sit here not sharing it. And so, being set up the way we are to take in the, these animals and give them a great immersion in in the good, um, it feels like something we should do. You know, it, it really does. It feels kind of like
0: well, that should be something people who are interested in fostering should consider. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it for yourself? Right, or are you doing it for the dog. You know? and, their, and their future. And you, if you're doing it for yourself, that may not be a good fit to be a foster because it's going to rip you apart. You're going to feel jealous, you know, all the stuff that you don't need and the dog doesn't need,
1: right? Yeah, no, I think that's probably right. You're probably not set up to do a great job, if that's true, because you're going to be blinded to what's really going on. I do think, you know, the fundamental thing for fostering, but also just for good dog ownership, I think, is empathy. You know, you need to put your own stuff aside and start thinking about where this other being is coming from. And the second you do that, I think you become a great owner or a great foster because you don't have to be incredibly skilled at training and behavior and all that if you're really good at, at going, hang on let's think about where this dog has been and what this dog is thinking. I just wrote a piece for whole dog journal about puppy training. And it's about my one piece of advice to my uh, dog training clients. If I could really just give it honestly is um, think about the fact that you've just kidnapped your puppy. You've kidnapped your puppy from planet dog. Like that little dog that you got didn't, while you've been excited to get a puppy for a month, that dog didn't know you were going to steal him away from his super happy family. He has been spending two months. You feel like his life is just starting with you? Well, he's had two months where he is 24-7 with his litter mates, and mom is two steps away. They are chewing on each other, and they are digging and climbing and barking and the gnawing.
0: and the sounds and the smells.
1: Right. No. And they're doing all those things that are super normal to them. And then you kidnap him and bring him into a planet where he's not allowed to bite and he's not allowed to jump up and he's not allowed to do all those things that he's really good at. And it's that's just the way they relate to each other. And now you're mad at him. So anyway, I I just want people to keep in their mind the empathy that comes from thinking about it that way. And the, the, if you really get that in your head, you're going to do the right stuff with your puppy. You, know? you don't have to be incredibly great at dog training, you're automatically going to start doing the right stuff with your puppy.
0: Which kind of leads me into another thing your, your husband told you once about uh, the objective of when raising your puppies is the word trust. So how's the trust fit in? You, you're so kind of here- thinking it, but maybe in a different way.
1: When he was talking about that, so that was when I was freaking out uh, <laughs> with our first litter. We took in our first nursing litter, and that was truly immersion. You know, I'm co-parenting essentially for the first time with this mama dog and these little four-week-old puppies, and they're in our house for um, five or six weeks. And that was really our first um huge experience and we loved them so much. That particular time I was fostering for our local shelter, not for the private rescue that I normally work with. And the way they just have rules and the way their rules work is they don't adopt out of my house. The people don't come to my house to get the dogs. I have to give them back to the shelter and then the adoption coordinators there adopt them out and I never get to
0: see what happens. So You have no control over that. No, so not
1: no. Not only did I not have any control, but I couldn't even know. Like they, because of public, it's a public shelter, and they can't let that information out. So they yeah. couldn't even give me an email address, so that I I couldn't even write, "Hey, hope you're enjoying the puppy," and sit there waiting for them to write back and tell me how it's going. I couldn't even do that. So that was just really hard for me, and he, I was working through that. And Tom said, "Look, you have to trust the puppies," and that is absolutely right. You have to trust them to do the last leg of the journey. You know, you've done the best you can, uh, adoption quarters have done the best they can, the universe is playing its role to make sure this works, and then just by being themselves, the puppies are going to be cute enough to seal this deal. They are going to make themselves so lovable that the people who otherwise cuz what I worry about is are the people ready? for puppyhood. You know, peeing, chewing, destruction, jumping up 24-7, it's hard to have a puppy. And I just stress about that. And if I don't know who the people are, and I don't know if they've been adequately prepared, Tom was just like, look, you just have to trust these beloved puppies. And that does, that soothed me back then, and it soothes me still.
0: So along those lines, you said you learn in the book, you said you learn to block thoughts about dogs you can't help. In other words, you can't, I, I guess the reference is you can't foster. You know about them, but you can't help them. Yep. And you said you learn to block those thoughts up. Tell I us just, a about that.
1: Yep. I can't go there. So, you know, there's a lot in rescue, you know, so a lot of books about rescue are really hard books to read. Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of sad and, and, you know, because these dogs have found themselves in unfortunate circumstances and, Often it's because a human wasn't good to them. Um, And that stuff can get you pretty riled up and pretty sad. I don't look at that side of the story. Um, What I look at is the stuff I can do something about Um, because I can get overwhelmed. If I look at every single dog that comes through rescue, um, I get overwhelmed. So I don't do that. I don't rest in that. I grab the dog I can take and do the best job I can, and I just... Hope the rest of the world does the same, and if they did, we'd all be great. <laughs> so, um, I re- there's there's actually a woman who lives who works at um, one of our local vets, and she knows I'm involved in rescue, and she's involved in rescue. Every time she sees me, she tells me some horrible story, and that's just not how I approach rescue. I don't know why she that that's simply the way she approaches it. Yeah. I can't stand that. When I hear a story of a dog suffering at the hands of somebody, I can't get that out of my head. I can't sleep and that doesn't do anybody any good. Um so that's just not my approach. My approach is what I see, which is the good stuff. So for all the dogs in my that come through my house, you know, maybe a few of them somebody wasn't good to But the what I look at is the numbers. Okay, so let's say that's one bad apple. Maybe some guy didn't take good care of this dog. Then two dozen caring strangers stepped up to get that dog into the shelter, get him out of the shelter, drive him up here, the adoption coordinator, all these strangers giving volunteering their time to get this dog into a good spot. That's the side of the story that I keep my eye on rather than getting sad about the fact that there's a need for this stuff I look at the side of the story that's pretty darn amazing, which is all these people uh, pitching in to do something nice.
0: So that's kind of, uh, I, was gonna, I have this down, another pearl of wisdom. Uh, <laughs> that's what I love about your book. Keeping your eyes on the right half of the story. Is that what you're trying to talk about? Yep, exactly. Keeping your eyes, and that's a wonderful, yep. wonderful little sentence. Keeping your right. eyes on the right half of the story.
1: That was the one that comes from the chapter where I talk about um, Helga. So Helga was, so this is one of the very rare, out of 175 adoptions, only a few have bounced back, only less than five have bounced back. Helga's one. Bounced back. Meaning the adoption didn't, eventually didn't work out something, you know, there there needed to be, the dog was given up for whatever reason. Um, so for Helga, she is one of the ones who went to the shelter. That w- that first litter that I was so worried about, and three years later, the shelter director called me and said uh, one of your puppies is back, and she's not in good shape. And so that was uh, uh, it was I was it was awful to see that she was in pain behaviorally, there, physically, behaviorally there were just issues there, and it looked terrible. But my friend Linda, who had adopted her brother, stepped up to foster her and took her through two hip operations, which the shelter paid for, I have to say, mm-hmm. and, then, um, and then adopted her. And then they live happily ever after. You couldn't, I mean, it's just crazy. So that's the, that's the, that's the part where I keep my eye on that. Ending of the story rather than on the first half. First of all, I don't know what happened with those folks. I don't know what they were going through. I don't know, you know, who, I don't know any of that. And so other people would listen to that story and be super mad about that first half. I, I think about, my God, look at what Linda did. She took in this dog, not knowing how it was going to turn out. She couldn't have known how well it w- was going to happen. But like two weeks after being at her house, the dog was fantastic. She was super happy. It was great. So that's the thing. I just try to look at that side of it
0: because it's real. Yeah. And, but it, and, it's, and it prevents you from being presumptuous. And exactly. The- I don't <laughs> know everything. You don't know the other end of the story. So okay. that's a very healthy way of keeping your sanity.
1: And that, that is really true. So many people are filled with so much anger about dogs who end up in rescue, but they don't know what the people were going through. You cannot know that. And so I just kind of assume the best. I assumed, I tend to assume that folks were going through something, they did the best they could, and here we go. Now let's, now let's make this work out.
0: This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Ardvarks' and Zebras and WERU in Orland, Maine talking to Kathy Callahan, who's the author of 101 Rescue Puppies, uh, One Family Story of Fostering Dogs, Love and Trust. Uh, Tell us a little little bit about how you, you, most of your fostering is with puppies, mommy's puppies, and you have a way of naming the litters. Tell us (laughs) what your technique is and give us their some like three or four examples in the book. So fun. So
1: we love it when our family loves it, when we do get to name them, we don't always, sometimes they come already named. And even if the puppies are teeny tiny and they don't know their name in the computer, they're already named that and you don't want to screw around with that. But sometimes I get into the situation early enough that we know that we can name them. So obviously this is fun for kids. If you are fostering litter for your kids to jump in there and help name is very fun. Sometimes I'll put it out there on Facebook and just cause it's fun for people to do and ask for litter themes. So, um, I think our first litter was, um, spice, the first litter we got to name was the spice litter. And so that was, um, let's see, wait, let me, I'll, I'll forget it. Uh Poppy, saffron, paprika, nutmeg. Um, so cute. Uh, and then we had the Chinese takeout litter. Yeah. So that was when uh, our firstborn had left for college. And so our, our second daughter got to name them. And so that was um, poopoo platter and beef on a stick. He he was a lazy boy. He just sat still. So he was <laughs> um Egg roll, um, uh, wonton.
0: Captain um,
1: Coke. Hmm?
0: Captain to Captain So, exactly, to, Captain, Captain So. so yep. We're going to talk about him in particular in a minute. All um, right, all right.
1: Um, we had the, just this, our pandemic pups this spring, we named after cereal. So Cheerio, Loop, <laughs> like Fruit Loop, Chex, <laughs> Applejack. We well, had a puppy named Fruit yeah. Loops. You know what's great? So we named it for Fruit Loop, and they they kept the name Loop. So we just love it. She lives around here, and her name is Loop. Loop, um, that's great. Yeah, so cute. Yeah. Um, And then my daughter was in marching band. And so we had the percussion litter of bongo, marimba, gong, timpani. Anyway, it is super fun. And the point is these, you know, we aren't, we want adopters to be able to easily rename their dogs. We don't want them to feel like they're stuck with some name that doesn't work for them. So sometimes we kind of pick goofy names so that they feel very free, of course, to rename yeah. the dog because these puppies, and, and, and frankly, we talk about them using the name, but I don't sit there calling them that name because I, I, we just call them puppy puppy when we're talking to them because we oh, don't want to learn a name yeah. that isn't really going to be their name. Um, but often what's funny is, you know, I do, I overpost. I post because I'm trying to get homes for them. And also a lot of people just get a kick out of it. It's just a happy little spot to watch my Facebook and Instagram accounts because you watch these puppies come in, you watch them grow up a little bit, and then you watch them go off and get a home. So the truth is they're little celebrities by the time they get adopted. So sometimes people can't even think of renaming them because they came to love them as... Checks or whatever the name is. how they it. met him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Those little things running around licking you and all. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, Captain Sue, is that name from Sue?
1: I don't, yeah. you know, what's funny? I don't need, we always just called him the General. So it's General So.
0: I mean, General it's, So, General yeah. So. That's how he started, General So. Yep. And yep. You mentioned General So as a, um, well, in common terms, a dominant, a dominant um, Puppy, however, you shifted it a little bit to the very unique and very perceptive. You called him a responsible leader. Yep. So tell us about the general and why he became how an example of how he was responsible, because you have an example of that, and yep. then how his name changed.
1: Yep. So we so you know, one of the fun things about taking in a litter is watching those personalities emerge because they really do you p- pretty early on, you start to see little things that doesn't mean it's going to stay for sure, but you can definitely see some things start to show up. And with, with um, the general um, what we saw is just leadership. So you come in and he would be the ver- very first one to notice you coming in uh, and he would walk on over to you and he was always confident and, um, and he just had a maturity about him he seemed older than the other dogs he seemed to know what was up all the You're time not pushy not pushy and that's the thing no not pushy he wasn't that kind of a, no it's not like he wanted to get to the food first or something he was just the first to understand any situation you know you would uh, just the first to be noticing there was something new thinking about it deciding it was okay modeling, you know, going through it. I mean, it was just, um, and I, you do see that often in litter. So you'll see somebody emerge as kind of a leader like that. And I don't think about it there as a dom, that doesn't strike me as a dominant kind of thing. It just seems to be more of a leadership thing. And one day he, he honestly did. I was sitting Um, in my little office typing. And I I have all these windows so I can see outside. Um, And sometimes I'll pop inside just for a minute and then go back out. Uh, The puppies, uh, that was a beautiful fall. And so they did get to spend a lot of time playing outside. um, And sometimes, so I was outside all day with them, but would pop in to do little things like a quick load of laundry or just check my email. I was in checking my email, look at the door. And um, the general is standing up, banging on the door, making this dramatic eye contact with me. And so I opened the door and he didn't want to come in and he, he started running. So I ran with him and realized I wasn't seeing any of his litter mates. I was like, what's up? He took me around the corner of the house to the window well where two little mischievous pups were down in the window well and the others were gathering around the outside staring down there not knowing how to help them out. Um, and that is just such a typical thing for that particular puppy is he he thought that through. You know he was one of the ones standing on the outside of the window well thinking, "Hmm, what are we going to do about this?" He ran to get me. Like that's yeah, just that's impressive. impressive. You know, you're that's talking right. about an 8-week-old puppy.
0: Right? What was your mind? I know it. I know it. Oh, so the, the general was adopted.
1: Yeah, so he was adopted and here's the thing. The weird thing is while he was at my house, I always kept thinking, calling him in my own little head, Captain. And then I'd sort of slap myself on the forehead, like, no, stop it. It's the general. Why are you calling him Captain? And I seriously, you know, I'm middle-aged. I Maybe no, I didn't tell anyone. Cause it was kind of embarrassing. It's sort of like, why can't I keep the name straight? And I was really just sort of embarrassed about it. Um, so we adopted him out. And, um, a few days later, Megan called me and she's like, Oh, we finally settled on a name. It's Captain.
0: Oh and
1: I just, It was just crazy. I was very confused. (laughs) I was like, wait, what has just happened here? So I don't know what to tell you about that, but it gave me goosebumps.
0: You don't, that's something you don't have to explain. Right. Okay. Okay. Leave it, leave it, leave it be. And there
1: you go. We'll just leave that right there.
0: It's a great story. Um, Tell me, there's sometimes you are involved with selecting the parents, you're the foster, the the new owners what was it, about half the time or most of the time?
1: So it's kind of complicated. I, um because I, at this point, because I've been doing this so long, people come sort of directly through me and then I throw them over to my adoptions counselor. So we now have been working so closely together for a long time that it's, it would be hard to describe how it really happens at this point, but I certainly do play a role. She's the official decider. Like if you really want to but you know, she she's the one who's in charge of of deciding. She does those. Yeah. But I'm I I am I am involved.
0: How do you dissuade a delusional <laughs> potential <laughs> adapter? So that's the <laughs> right uh, out of your book.
1: Right. So so um so sometimes uh People will come to my house, and and what I will do is if I know people kind of vaguely through my social circle, and they just want to come over and see the puppies, and then they think they want one, but they really haven't been vetted already through my adoptions counselor, um, I will 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 just talk a lot about what it's like to have a puppy, and if I get the sense, um, so puppyhood is really quite challenging. There's a heck of a lot. To puppyhood, There's peeing, there's chewing, there's destruction. It takes a ton of time. Um, so I am just super honest about what puppyhood is like. And usually what happens is um, through a super honest conversation, the right thing ends up happening um, because people will assess whether they're really ready for that. I don't sugarcoat puppyhood. And I'm really particularly careful not to sugarcoat if I feel the folks I'm talking to really don't quite know what
0: this is gonna be like. Um the, the are they saying what 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 are the delusions that come to you.
1: So so one of the ones that um the uh I think actually that particular quote is from the chapter about Captain because the woman who wanted to to okay. adopt him had um four boys under age seven. And I just thought, are you kidding me? I'm a mom and I only had two kids and they were three years apart. Um, So puppy, puppy had just takes so much organization and a level of chill and a level of, you know, tolerance and all this kind of stuff. And I just couldn't imagine myself doing that with four boys under age seven. So when she came in and told me their, their family wanted a puppy, I was like, okay, we'll see how this goes. And she came and visited. And I learned something that day because I watched how she and her kids were with this litter of puppies running around. And it was a beautiful sight to see. Though she was relaxed, she was joyful. The kids viewed the puppies not as toys, which many kids will come in and you just realize they need a little bit of an education because they view these living beings as something put on this earth to amuse them. And they aren't, they just, I don't like what I see. These kids respected these little, and they were little kids, respected these puppies as live beings. They were kind, they were gentle, they were respectful. And the mom, when something did happen, there was at some point, some boy was holding a cracker or something and kind of dangling it in front of the puppies. And duh, of course the puppies got the cracker. And the kids started to whine a little bit. And the mom was just like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> that is what I want to see. I want to see that kind of realistic, let's plan ahead. You know, you can't expect that a, you know, reasonable expectation for a puppy, reasonable expectation for kids, good communication, a joyful attitude. So, you know, I was ready to dissuade her when I just looked at her on on paper. And then I saw what she was like in in person. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And it has been great. And another family, just like that, six kids. Um, and I, I never thought that that could work. out. And they had not had a dog before. And I thought, oh, we'll see how this goes. They have been unbelievable. So good. The mom came in, she had a six-month-old, no, 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 even a six-week-old baby and um, five older kids. And they came into our puppy den, and I was ready for this to just be proof that they couldn't have a puppy. They came in. That family was, again, super joyful. Everyone was chatty but respectful, kind to the puppies, listening to me to it when I said, okay, all your, your bottoms have to be on the floor. You can wait for the puppies to come to you, but there's no grabbing. There's no." They listened. They respected. It was site to see. So that's the kind of thing where you sort of have to see it in person um, to see how the match is going to go. And that's why you want there to be a little bit of flexibility when somebody gets to your house so that you can have those conversations about, is this going to happen or not? It's, you know, if it's a, if it's a done deal by the time they get to the house, it's a little bit scary,
0: you know? So uh, do you, the way the fostering works uh, you do have a minimal of impulse buying, so to speak. You know, you're walking in the mall. You go into the pet store. You pay. You know, plunked on a thousand bucks, and you have a Shar Right, <laughs> right. You know, okay. Now, what do you do? You don't. You don't get that fostering that kind of weeds those people out.
1: You, I mean, I think uh, the kind of fostering I do re- weeds those people out. We don't. That's just not possible because there isn't that. Nobody could walk by my house. Stop by and leave with a puppy, and that is delightful because um, I think you really need to sleep on this decision quite a lot. This is—it's a big deal to get a puppy, um, and I think kind of any dog. I mean, a lot of people like to think about the magic walk through a shelter. You decide on a Saturday morning and walk down the aisles of the shelter and lock eyes with your dog, and you know sometimes that can happen. But I think most of the time it doesn't (laughs) and I think I would like I like people to really 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 think it through first and then let the magic happen like think it through before you go on pet finder before you walk to the shelter do your thinking what kind of family or what kind of person are you are you really active we laugh about how many people say they hike um so on our applications for for dogs you know what what do you want you know what do you picture doing with your dog everyone says they're going to go hiking i'm sorry i think people hike like twice a year around here i know you're up in maine maybe people hike a lot more i do not think people do nearly as much hiking as they say and i think they're binge watching something down in the basement and that's important to know like It's important to know yourself when you pick your dog so that you'll be happy. I mean, I want your dog to be happy, but I also want you to be happy. And so the best rescues, best adoption quarters, best best shelters, and best breeders even will make you be honest about yourself, about who who are you? you, Are you going to be super mad when your um, coffee table has an end that's chewed? Are you going to freak out when the edge of your carpet is chewed a little bit? How about, you know... Um, how active really are you? Are you gonna, you know, when it's raining and you have to take take your dog out? Are you gonna be morose? Like, you have to think through dog ownership because it's giant. It's also giant in terms of delivering joy. But um, y- the best way to get that joy is to be thoughtful about the approach to, are you really people who could get a puppy? Are you really people who could have a border collie? Are you somebody, you know, should you actually get a fat nine-year-old lab who just wants to, a wonderful spot to lie down in front of the fire? Like there are those dogs that need homes too. So the more honest you are with yourself, with the rescue, uh, with a breeder, the more, the better that match is going to be and the happier everybody's going to be.
0: And also long walks on the beach.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. 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 You in Maine, you're lucky up there.
0: Um, just a little personal experience with fostering. Being a veterinarian, I would have foster parents come in and to vet the dog, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, and they brought in this, this border collie. And they said he was in this little kennel for the first year of his life. So no socialization, uh, station, no uh, nothing. And he, uh, he was just uh, awful. I mean, he was thin. He had cookworms, yes. blah, blah, blah. But he and I locked eyes and I wasn't looking for a dog. I didn't have a dog and that was it. My Ben, my,
1: are you kidding?
0: Yeah. So I just said, well, and he, he, he was a oh. psychological mess. He was scared of everything. Yeah. But I took him in. I got him back to health and he just became a, just a beautiful dog. Always had some psychological problems. But He came, yeah. came to work every day. I think my, My clients probably are listening to this. They remember Ben. He'd be at my desk every day because he's used to being in a little... uh, Yeah. ...losing cell that made him comfortable. But he came. He just just ran with me.
1: And you're the perfect owner for him because he needed both behavioral and and medical assistance. And
0: you've got that background. That's beautiful. So, but there are sad... You have sick animals. There's a chapter you talk about... Uh, litter, so you get these litters. Everything's so far we've been talking about all the successful, but sometimes,
1: yeah,
0: it really stinks. Yes, there is a chapter about sick animals, and can you kind of share what you think is relevant? Yeah,
1: yeah. so yeah, so that I, I, um, I w- had a really long stretch of luck where nothing bad ever happened, uh, and then, um, we got. Um, a litter that was sick. In fact, we think it was hookworm. Um, and even though you're prepared for these things, because there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong with, especially with young puppies, and can knock out a whole litter. Um, disease, infection, disease, viruses. Um, you know, parasites. Stuff can go wrong. And e- and that can even happen. You know, with purebreds. You know, th- and it isn't necessarily that they were from a bad background. It's just that young puppies are vulnerable, and things can go wrong. So um, we did have a litter come in and um, it was supposed to be eight puppies. And by the time they got to us, it was six puppies. And I didn't really have time to think about that too much, but by the next morning it was five puppies. And that was new for me is having to deal with that. That was because you love them, even though you just met them and they are in your care and um it's heartbreaking but here's the thing and I don't you know everyone's been through sad things and for me the worst things I've been through are also linked to the most beautiful things I know and because and even though you don't want bad horrible sad things to happen to you when they do they help you tap into some really beautiful things. And so what I felt going through that was an incredible scaffolding of support in my community, my neighbors, my family, my other dogs, the other puppies in the litter, all sorts of beautiful things happened um, right around all that. And so I've come to just, uh, you know, I can do the best I can do. And I can walk through the challenging times and understand that we're going to get through them And that we're going to learn some good lessons in the process.
0: Um, You must have develop a good relationship with your veterinarian too.
1: Well, so this is um, so when you foster, you typically can't just go to your vet. Uh, So you do. We have we have um, specific vets we can go to because if every single foster. Um, Homer trails has about 500 fosters. If everybody who took in a dog, just ran to the vet, whenever the dog had a sniffle, we, they would be out of business in two seconds. So you have to, um, uh, there's a lot of medication, typical stuff, antibiotics and, um, dewormers that we can just dispense that Homer trails, my rescue can dispense on its own. Then if there's a problem, I need to go to the, um, one of the approved vets. Uh, for the rescue. So I don't get to use my own vet. I have a great relationship with my own vet. Um, the, these vets are a little bit rotating, the ones that I have to go to. And frankly, there's not that the, there aren't that many reasons that I have to go to the vet. Um, so so that actually doesn't happen that much, which is lovely.
0: Gee, we only have about a minute and a half left. Um, I would like to talk about my favorite chapter, the poop chapter. <laughs> well, You may not have time for that. The readers have to buy the book.
1: You have to read the poop chapter on your own, guys.
0: Yep. It, it, is a, it is a wonderful book. The, the pictures alone is just a fun, fun book of the pictures. But I think your insights that hopefully we shared uh, today uh, get an inkling of what this book is about. But with a, a minute left, is there anything you'd like to share with listeners of just about the general idea of fostering and your own experience?
1: So I just, what I kind of hope this book will um, do for people is what fostering does for me, which is open a little window in the world that is filled with joy and light. Um, Of course, I also hope more people will get involved with rescue, either adopting or fostering. But I also just, you know, everybody's got, this is my little way to light a candle uh, instead of um, just complaining about the darkness. And I hope everybody can find their own little way to light a little candle in the world.
0: A little, little bit. Everyone does their little bit.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: That's that's a wonderful a wonderful thing to go by. Uh, it doesn't have to be you don't have
1: to cure, this is the thing, you don't you also you don't have to cure cancer. You know what I mean? Like you can do a tiny little thing and it can end up steamrolling and actually feeling like a pretty big deal. Um, and that's that's a it's what what a lucky spot to be in.
0: Thank you, Kathy Callahan, author of 101 Rescue Puppies. I bet I guess you can get it on.
1: Anywhere you'd like to buy your books. Yep. Yep.
0: It's really, it's a delightful book. It's, it's been a delight talking with you and meeting you. Right back at you. We can do it again sometime. Absolutely. Like, I hope next so. Next book about, I want, I want your next book about your, the poop book. All right. All right. We'll focus on poop for the whole time. And then we can talk about poop for an hour. <laughs> well, my, my listeners and my clients, they know, they know me, so they would expect that. So. Oh, okay. Excellent. This is John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. And until next time, enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug.